Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Our gospel reading comes from John chapter 3. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's passage from John's Gospel needs no introduction. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Now, if I were a betting woman, I'm not because I'm a good faithful United Methodist, But I would bet that there is not a soul listening today who has not heard that first verse I just read, John 3, 16. Even if you've never read the Bible before, you're probably familiar with this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. John 3.16 is ubiquitous in our culture. It's on billboards and bumper stickers. For whatever reason, really prominent at sporting events, not only fans holding up signs, but often you see guys with it painted on their chest. Not sure if this is what Jesus had in mind here, but to each his own. Again and again and again, we see, we hear, we read John 3.16. But here's the thing, when we only read this one verse, when we only share this verse, we're in grave danger of pulling it out of context from this larger passage we heard and the larger narrative of John's gospel, we've come in here to the middle of a conversation, but this is a speech from Jesus to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious leader, a Pharisee, and he's witnessed the signs that Jesus is doing. 
and he comes to him at night to say, you've got to be of God. There's no other explanation for your teaching and your signs, your miracles. Please tell me more. And then Jesus famously says, you must be born again, born from above. Nicodemus has a hard time understanding. He says, I've already been born. In fact, I'm pretty old. What are you talking about, Jesus? I'm afraid John 3.16 gets commonly used as some kind of twisted evangelism tool. You better believe or else, or else you will be condemned to hell or else you won't receive eternal life. Or even, God forbid, you're not going to receive God's love. If you walk in the dark, you're, you're condemned to eternal darkness. But in the very next verse says, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. And the verse begins with the very good news that God loves the world, the whole world, all of creation. After all, God created the world and called it good. Now, we humans have also distorted and abused this world. Because of our actions, there is much suffering and cruelty. The season of Lent, when we journey with Jesus towards the cross, is a time when we as Christians particularly reflect on all the ways we are tempted to pull away from God. So it's a good time to meditate on this meaning, not just for Nicodemus, but for us too. Too often this verse gets construed as meaning we better believe in Jesus or God's love is going to be ripped from us. But do you know what? The story we experienced during Lent of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it tells us the opposite. The truth is, like it or not, we've got no choice about God's love. God loves us. In fact, not because of our choices, thanks be to God but in spite of ourselves. Because the world does love darkness rather than light. And what does God do in the face of all of our attempts to pull away from God through greed and violence, selfishness, exploitation? God chooses to come to earth as one of us, a human being and the person of Jesus. He walks with us and talks with us, eats with us, loves this world so much that God inhabits it as one of us and experiences what we experience, temptation, hunger, sadness, joy, laughter, deep connection and relationship. And what do we do? We continue to screw up so royally that we can't handle such love in a human being, in our God. That we not only reject this love, but we as human beings end up crucifying God killing Jesus. This is what we are moving to as we approach Good Friday. And what does God do? Does God say, because you didn't believe, because you denied me or rejected me, my love is taken away from you. You better believe or else you're condemned to hell. No, God does the opposite. In the face of such tragedy and betrayal and violence to God's self, God raises Jesus from the dead and says, death does not win. This violence, it does not win. Jesus has eternal life and all of us, all of us are offered this gift after we killed God. This is the most remarkable kind of love. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And there's nothing we can ever do that will take that love away. It comes to us again and again and again.
wondrous love and deep. For God so loved the world again and again and again. Friends, this verse reverberates in my heart as we cross the one year mark of the world shutting down for this pandemic. I vividly remember that week as we all do on a Tuesday and staff meeting, we were brainstorming modifications to worship. Maybe we should put offering plates in the back of the narthex instead of passing them around. Maybe no passing of the peace, ask people if they don't feel good not to come. Well, then by Thursday, we had word from the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church that we actually needed to close our buildings completely before Sunday. And we all know too vividly the rest of the story. How naive we all were. For God so loved the world. This pandemic has brought us together in powerful ways. In other ways, it's torn us apart over the last year. Literally, we've been apart. The fact that we haven't been able to safely be with other people for a year has enacted a toll. I'm not sure we really comprehend yet. It will take some time. At this year mark, we are now over 500,000 deaths due to COVID-19 in this country. Somebody this week shared with me uh, the phrase grief tsunami and an expert was saying, we don't really know what's coming as we move out of this. And then of course, in addition to all the many griefs and tragedies related to the pandemic, small and large, our nation has endured the, endured the murder of George Floyd and other people of color calls for racial justice was a fraught, to say the least, national election, followed by an insurrection at the Capitol. It's been a year. And each of these events has polarized us as a country. And as Christians and as churchgoers, we're not immune. People have passionate and disparate views on how to respond to the pandemic, to racial justice and police violence, to the election. And too often in our culture, we've dehumanized each other as we have these disagreements. And I think that's even easier to do when we can't look into each other's faces right now unmediated by screens or masks. It's harder to love our neighbor when we can't be with our neighbor and we're all guilty of that. We love darkness rather than light. There are many reflections out there right now on the pandemic one year in. And of course, for us, I think it's worth reflecting on what this has meant for us as a church community. Of course, every single aspect of our ministry has changed. The gospel hasn't changed, the good news of Jesus Christ, but pretty much everything else changed quickly and dramatically. And the changes in ministry have impacted different people in different ways. And we have strong and passionate opinions about what we should and shouldn't be doing. And even in those different opinions, that comes out of all of us really loving God and loving church and wanting to do what's best for our community of faith. And like any group of humans, we don't all define that the same way. At our core, our organization exists to be the body of Christ in the flesh to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be a glimpse of the kingdom of God here on earth. And while friends, we have done that in remarkable new and creative ways over the last year, nothing can replace being together. That is who we are meant to be as the church. I'm 
I'm also painfully aware that this shutdown happened when I had been your pastor for less than a year. I realized I've now been with you longer under quarantine than I have been when we could be together. I haven't had a full typical year yet in the life of the church, Holy Week and Easter and our sanctuary, bingo, confirmation, casual conversations as you just come in and out of the building for Bible studies and small groups and volunteering. We've lost funerals and memorial services, visitations at bedsides, baptisms where we can hold and celebrate babies and children. Worship each and every week where we look in each other's eyes, give a warm embrace and say the peace of Christ be with you. It has been a long and a hard year. There are probably a hundred articles out there if you're in my world on how this has been one of the hardest years in ministry for clergy and church staff and ministry leaders and much of that centers on the adaptation that we've all had to do. You've had to do it in your own life and work a quick pivot to learn how to make videos, having to take takes again and again and again, to suddenly have to be public health experts and decision makers. There's financial stress, learning about FM transmitters, first that they even exist, second, how to use them. And many of these are technical skills, and while they have been challenging to learn and out of our wheelhouse, that's not why this year has been so hard. It's that underneath it all, as a church, we exist to be together. Our calling as Christians, as clergy, as ministry staff, as leaders, is centered in what happens when we share one another's joys and griefs. It's the reality that when we may have difficult or politically charged differences in conversations, we still sit down to a meal with each other afterwards. At Sandy Springs alone, we've had five staff transitions in the last year. We've said goodbye and hello without really being able to be together. We've had 17 deaths as a congregation with no large public communal way to ritualize that loss. Not being together is painful and the loss of in-person connection has taken an enormous toll on all of us. I think it's important a year in to name this reality, to make space for that grief, to offer some lament. And yet, God so loved the world again and again and again. Here's how our passage ends. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the ways this year that in spite of the challenges, your deeds have been done in God. As we look back, it's clear that God has been with us and that you have been a tangible reflection of that love. It's felt like Lent has not been four weeks. It's been the whole year, right? The shutdown started in Lent, and now here we are, a year of sacrifice, of self-reflection, of repentance, of putting kingdom-building love of neighbor ahead of our own comforts or desires. It's been a long year. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your generous amounts of food and money that you've collected for those who are hungry for the gifts that you've given at Christmas and Thanksgiving, for phone calls and cards and meals that you've provided to one another as a sign of connection, 
for showing up in new ways, taking communion in your car with little cups, watching worship online with your families, filming videos for worship, showing up to Zoom small groups and Bible studies, youth and confirmation, delivering Lent and Advent bags, making Valentines for our community, and through it all, welcoming new people into the life of our church, from choir to small groups to worship to children's Sunday school. You've continued to support the church with your prayers and your presence and your gifts and your service and your witness. For all the ways that in spite of it all, your deeds, friends, they have been done in God. On a personal level, I want to thank you for supporting me as your pastor and loved me in these challenging times when you haven't even had a chance to know me or trust me for a whole year an embodied relationship. You've been a model of God's love and I'm grateful. The good news is hope, hope is on the horizon. Signs of spring are around us right now. Vaccines are increasingly rolling out, thanks be to God. The pandemic is still with us. We're still looking at the health metrics for decision-making but the sacrifices should lessen and lessen soon over this year. We've got some hope. And I'm beyond excited about Sunday morning outdoor worship starting on March 28th. Of course, the best news is in seasons of sacrifice and seasons of hope and all those waiting spaces in between, God's love always, always holds us again and again and again. So as we continue to move through the pandemic, let us remember that truth and let us ask ourselves each and every moment, are my deeds done in God? And let's strive for them to be so. When everything feels really charged around us and we still need to make some sacrifices in our daily living, let us strive to live with grace and humility, to embody the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to fail. We're going to backslide. And then we're going to try again and again and again. And then slip up again. Sometimes we're going to love darkness rather than light. But the best news is God so loved the world. So the light it shines and the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Again and again and again. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.